Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Neil Howard. Thank you so much for joining us here on HPR. We're going to be speaking with Dr. Mitchell Kleonsky in this segment. He's joining us here as a board-certified clinical neuropsychologist to talk about a book co-authored with Dr. Emily Kleonsky entitled Dementia Prevention, Using Your Head to Save Your Brain. Welcome to Health Professional Radio, Dr. Mitchell Kleonsky. Thank you for joining us this evening. My pleasure being here. Well, give us a, a brief look into your uh, professional background, if you would. I'd love to. Uh, I've been around a long time, uh, 45 years in practice, 35 years in seeing about 500 dementia and mild cognitive impairment patients every year, in addition to somewhere between another 300 to 500 people with concussions, ADHD, multiple sclerosis, basically the gamut of neurological conditions. Over the years, obviously, things have evolved including our understanding of what goes into the loss of mental abilities. That is the definition of dementia, which is basically a progressive neurological decline. And over that time, we've been measuring how people think. We've been measuring how they learn and remember new information. It's a lot of tests of short-term memory. We've been looking at how well they're able to pay attention, both do one thing at a time, but also to split and divide their attention between several things, which is oftentimes made more difficult as people have cognitive impairment. We also look at judgment and problem solving, basically the decision-making apparatus. Uh, The important thing about neuropsychology is it uses standardized tests of function and then compares that person's scores against their expected level based on their age, their education, their occupational background, and their reading level. So while we all lose a half a step as we get older, this compensates for that because we're not comparing them with how they were 30 years younger, but rather how they are in relation to their peers. This gives us a basis is it a myth that if you live long enough, you will develop some type of dementia, or is that a misconception? That's a misconception. Certainly your risk goes up. So if you're in your 60s, your chance is about 10%. In your mid-70s, it doubles. You're in your 20% range. And when you get into your mid-80s, you're at a rate of about 40% in terms of probability. However, that tends to then level off and does not increase as much because the people who are living longer than that tend to be healthier. They tend to have more cognitive reserves. And there's this phenomenon which is called uh, basically superagers, people who are 100 years old and still think very much like they did when they were in their 60s. Mm-hmm. So it's not inevitable by any means, and a lot depends on what you do early and in midlife to change your odds. That's what we're really about is dementia prevention. How does uh, blood pressure, sugar levels, um, certain medications, I guess general overall health affect the brain's function as it relates to dementia and cognitive decline? It has a very large role to play, especially in midlife. And each of these factors tends to be interrelated. So, for example, the same people who are obese are likely to have hypertension. 
they're likely to also have insulin resistance and develop diabetes. They're more likely to have sleep apnea. More so, these factors then will interact, placing increasing stress both on their cardiovascular and cerebrovascular systems, in other words, their blood circulation, but also in terms of even the presence of beta amyloid, which is sort of a building block of what we think is one of the root causes of dementia. So if you take someone who's had a heart attack, for example, in the hours after the heart attack, when they're deprived of oxygen, their levels of beta amyloid in their bloodstream are significantly elevated. And this can then set the stage for greater likelihood of Alzheimer's disease, which is one of the major forms of dementia, as well as cerebrovascular events, strokes, what we call transient ischemic attacks or TIAs, where all of those wear and tear kinds of functions that happen on our brain due to poor circulation as we get older and these things mount up and wear and tear on our thinking abilities. Now, obviously, activity, dietary factors can improve your health and, um, I guess, possibly stave off the development of, of dementia. But what about social engagement, going out, doing things? How do you keep your brain healthy, even if maybe your, your other functions aren't up to par? Well, it's not just one thing. We really take an integrated, comprehensive approach. Physical activity, mental activity, social activity. One of the myths is that you can eat your way into dementia prevention. Lots of books on this. In fact, they tend to be very popular books. You would think by now if you could do that, there wouldn't be any dementia because we'd all have eaten our way into better health. The reality is that what we're eating is generally a minor factor. How much we're eating can play a big part in it because obesity is one of the main drivers for all the other risk factors. But if we can get people walking every day, if we can get them engaged with other people, if we can get them getting additional learning and adult learning and trying new things and engaging with other people throughout their middle years and way past what is considered traditional retirement, they have much lower risks of dementia. I've heard that sleep apnea, sleep deprivation can affect dementia development or, you know, the lack thereof. It's probably one of the more overlooked aspects. First of all, we know that if you get too little sleep or paradoxically even too much sleep, you have an increased risk of dementia. The sweet spot for most people is seven to nine hours per night. Mm -hmm. If you're getting fewer than six or more than 10, there's something that needs to be looked into. The other factor here, the sleep apnea point, and thank you for pointing that out because we're really interested in that. Sleep apnea is a condition where people, during the course of their sleep, don't breathe well. So they stop breathing multiple times per hour or their blood oxygen drops by 3 or 4% for periods of time. If you're not getting enough air down your lungs, you're not getting enough oxygen pulled out of your lungs, and attaching those molecules of oxygen to your red blood cells, making their way up to your brain, and your brain simply does not work properly. It doesn't produce enough energy. It also doesn't do its work of cleaning out the toxins that develop during the course of daily thinking, 
while you're sleeping. So these two things go hand in hand. And sometimes one of the reasons why people don't get enough sleep is that they stop breathing enough times that it wakes them up during the course of the night so their sleep is fragmented. Good news here also is that it's a treatable condition. If you can treat the sleep apnea, you can actually improve cognition. Are there any proven psychological methods to change our habits and our health to our brain's benefit? Yes, there are. And we discussed those in our book at some length uh, because change, especially in midlife and later, is really hard for most people. I guess from my point of view, the most important things are, number one, you want to have a clear goal. It needs to be an actionable goal. So when someone says, ah, this year I'm going to live healthier, that's not actionable. If they say, this year I'm going to increase my walking to 10 minutes three times a day, that's something we can measure. That's something they can really focus on. Mm -hmm. Something like that will make a change. And then they have to break it down into small enough pieces. You notice I didn't say walk a half an hour. I said walk 10 minutes three times a day. That gets around most of the objections that people have. Well, if you would, give us a website where our listeners can learn more and also get a copy of your book, Dementia Prevention, Using Your Head to Save Your Brain. Well, the book is out on all of the major carriers and a number of bookstores. It's also available to the publisher, Johns Hopkins University Press. Our website is www.braindoc.com. Braindoc.com. And that's B-R-A-I-N-D-O-C.com, correct? Yes, it is. Mitchell, uh, I appreciate your time this evening. Thank you so much for joining us here on Health Professional Radio. Dr. Mitchell Kleonsky, thank you. You've been listening to Health Professional Radio. I'm your host, Neil Howard. Audio copies of this program are available at healthprofessionalradio.com.au and also at hpr.fm. And be sure and subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com, Health Professional Radio.